Magnificent. Great stuff. Hey, great to have you in church today. Steve Peach is my name. If you don't know me, I'm the ministry team leader here. And a special welcome to you. Can I just reiterate what was said before? We had a fantastic night last night. 18 nationalities represented uh, and just an amazing feast of uh, various foods and a great opportunity to engage our faith from a different cultural context uh, here in the auditorium. Don Sisson, who's our multicultural pastor, did a fantastic job uh, in excess of 200 people here. It was a fantastic night. So can we just thank everyone who was involved in that? We, uh, as a local church, we want to represent and reflect the community that lives around us. And uh, 18 nationalities is a reflection uh, of what lives in this environment. And so it's very uh, positive that uh, uh, folks feel comfortable. And as I was, I was just at the door on the, as people were leaving, uh, and just the energy on people's faces as they walked out of here, having come to us from a different country, being able to express their faith uh, in the context which they've known and grown up in, was very positive. So if you weren't here, I encourage you to get along to the next one. Um, I stopped on the way to church this morning. I made a stop, which I don't normally do, uh, to purchase something that I have never purchased before. Uh, I, I went to 7-Eleven to get a, uh, a scrambled egg and bacon wrap. Okay, uh, It's a tradesman's kind of breakfast. Uh, I'm a tradesman from a long time ago. Uh, but I'd never indulged uh, because of just the physique and the, the kind of posture I tried to hold myself in. But anyway, <laughs> I've never done that before and so I stopped and they don't have them. But they do have scrambled egg and lettuce sandwiches and so I bought one of those. And if I'm honest with you, it's not. It actually doesn't go down all that great with me, scrambled egg and, and lettuce. But I bought it anyway because um, I want you to have this picture in your mind as we finish, uh, our, as we work through this passage this morning, you've probably heard the phrase before, you can't unscramble eggs. You ever heard that? You can't unscrambled eggs. Scrambled, you can't unscramble, even without the D, eggs, right? Never a truer word has been said. And so I thought I should check that actually. So I went into the Google machine and it turns out there's quite a few people who've tried to unscramble eggs. I don't know what, why people have got so much time. But anyway, at this stage in our history, you can't unscramble eggs. It's not possible. I want you to have that picture in your mind. Uh, I've got this little mug here too. Katie uh, Rouse gave me this. She's part of our worship team. She gave me this this morning and said to me, um, this was my Christmas present for you last year. Uh, world's best boss. It's actually a stress um, thing. <laughs> Right? They can squeeze it. It's not actual coffee. Um, uh, but I did quiz her on why she'd waited until October to give it to me. Um, I guess evaluating whether I was the world's best boss. Um, taking her 10 months to work that through, but we're there now, so that's good. You can't unscramble eggs. As we walk through this passage this morning, I want you to have that picture in mind. The scrambled eggs and the concept of being unable to scramble them. Uh, not names in scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, uh, have meaning and purpose. They have intent when you name somebody in the Old Testament. 
Uh, the name Abraham uh, means he's the leader of the Jewish nation who God made his covenant with in the book of Genesis. The name Abraham means father of many or multitude, the father of the Israelite nation. The name Elijah in the Old Testament means my God is my salvation. Satan, uh, the, uh, uh, the spiritual opponent, means adversary. Zechariah in Hebrew means justice or justice of God. When, when we name people today, we typically engage names that either just come down our family line or names that we like, names that are popular. Um, but in scriptural times, you name somebody with an intent. There was a story you were telling. Maybe it was prophetic. Maybe it was about the role that they would carry in the future, a, a kind of a call upon their life, something for them to live into. Names were significant and had meaning. Isaac, the name Isaac, uh, when Abraham and Sarah uh, were seeking God for a child, uh, they were advanced in years, Sarah was older, she was barren, unable to have children. Uh, and eventually God brought this opportunity upon them, and they were very advanced in years. They named their son Isaac, which means to laugh. When they found out they were pregnant, they were, they were laughing together. Tells a story. So then we get to the New Testament. We already see this rich heritage that comes to us from names, and the way people are named. Uh, there's an oral tradition that carries that forward, and the New Testament carries that forward as well. Jesus speaks into that, into that environment, and as a part of his journey, he renames some people. They're a part of his team. The 12 disciples are going to take forward the story of the church, the gospel. Jesus renames Simon to the name Peter, which means rock. The disciples who will become apostles will carry forward the story of the gospel in the early church. Uh, and Jesus talks about how on this rock he will build his church. He's not saying he's going to build a church on Peter, but he's saying these guys will carry this forward. There's significance in that. So he renames Simon to Peter, which means rock, or more specifically, little rock. Um, he's going to be a part of that process. Some even translate it to pebbles. Um, uh, but not Bam Bam. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, his name is changed from Saul to Paul, which means small or humble. So then we come to this passage that we're looking at today uh, and we understand that names have meaning, purpose and intent. There's importance around names. At the moment, we're in this series on the goodness of God. We've shifted from uh, the, the Old Testament picture. We looked at nine weeks of the goodness of God in the Old Testament, which was all pointing us forward to a story, something yet to come, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We're now in the goodness of God, about five weeks in, into the New Testament, and we're seeing the colour that is present in Scripture as we talk about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is a part of who he is. It's central to God's character. It's his DNA. He can't be anything but good. What God is, he is fully and he is good. And so we're seeing that in the New Testament. 
The goodness of God, though, is not seen so much in the things that he does for us, the things that he gives us, the issues he solves for us in the moment, or even the, uh, the challenges that he helps us overcome that sit right before us. Those challenges, those moments, the storms, the droughts, the hardships, the diagnosis, the devastations, the disagreements, the hurts, they're all temporary. They're all painful, but they last just for moments, generally. They're passing. But what God offers offers us mostly in his goodness is an invitation to an eternal relationship, a connection to him. So with that in mind, we're coming into Luke chapter 19, the story about a man named Zacchaeus. Let me pray first before we open that together. Father, we just come before you now. We want to pause. We want to still our hearts. We want to be present with you. We want to open your word and understand what you might want to say to us this morning, the truth about your scripture Reveal something to us about your heart, the goodness you have for us. And we would ask that you would gently apply that to our lives, cause us to be transformed, changed more into your image. Help us to not be distracted just for the next few minutes as we listen to what you might want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the name Zacchaeus means something, comes out of this rich heritage that we just talked about. Zacchaeus is a purposeful name. It means pure, innocent or righteous one. If you know the story of Zacchaeus, what he did for a living, pure and innocent and righteous, he is not. If the culture that Zacchaeus lived in understood that names have a meaning, which they did, then Zacchaeus is way off. He's off the reserve, he's missing the mark, he's not living up to the the meaning bestowed upon him by his parents and he knows it. Immediately before we even open this passage, we have an inkling Before we read a verse, before we turn a page, we can see that there is meaning here for us in the fact that he's been named. There's potential for some cultural overlay here. The fact that Luke tells us that his name is Zacchaeus, names him as such, rather than saying, uh, just calling him a tax collector, or there there was a certain tax collector, the fact that he is named tells us that there is something here for us. Zacchaeus was born a male, Jewish male, lived and worked in the region of Jerusalem, named by his Jewish parents as pure and righteous one. Hoping that he would live into that title. But he strayed from his calling. More than that, he's flat out rejected it. And we'll see why and how in a minute. Culturally today, I wonder how many of us sit in this room. 
sit in this room now or maybe used to sit in this room or have maybe kids who used to sit in this room. And we have a mindset, a process that's churning away in our head. Our head tells a story or our heart posture is. Our our internal sort of personal conviction is that you or I, we haven't measured up. We've missed out. We've, We've missed our calling. We haven't lived into what God has for us. Distance ourselves then from serving at church and participating in the body. Disengage from the source of connection with God, a prayer and reading the Bible. Unresponsive when opportunities come our way, we just are passive and indifferent. Believing in our hearts that God would not use us. That he wouldn't show me, he wouldn't involve me, he wouldn't resolve this challenge for me because, well, I haven't measured up. I wonder how many of us are in the room thinking that now. When you were young, there was potential, right? Possibility, opportunity even. But over time, due to some feedback some bad experiences, you took a few hits, some failures, you haven't measured up, you've come up short and well, you can't unscramble eggs, right? It's done. It's set, I'm just going to go a different track. Well, if that's you, if that's your story, buckle up, tune in, pull your phone out, take some notes because this story in Luke chapter 19, might be your story. The creator of heaven and earth has got a story to tell, some lessons to deliver through this passage. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 19. It'll come up on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho. Luke chapter 19, first 10 verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was a short man, short in stature, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the the Lord, look, Lord, here I now give, I, I, I now, hang on, what did he say? Come on, Zacchaeus, pull it together. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man who is a son of Abraham, uh, this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. 
I just want to give you a couple, three maybe, observations of this passage. The first one is this, Zacchaeus isn't measuring up. He's not measuring up. There's an opportunity here for him. He's of the right lineage. It's been spoken over him in a meaningful way, but he's not measured that up. We've covered that off, but it's not by accident that Zacchaeus is in the situation he's in. He's made choices. He's made a series of choices. Not to say that he doesn't believe that God exists or that he's not Jewish anymore. He's not saying that. But the indicators tell us that the choices that he's made in his life suggest to us that he's more interested in himself than he is on what God has called him to do and what God might be doing. You see, he works for the Romans now. He's a tax collector. He's extracting tax, extorting money for himself, ripping off his own. It's the most hated profession in the land and he's the chief. He's the, high, he's the equivalent of a highway cop with a chip on his shoulder who also collects parking tickets. This same guy oversees the fuel excise, the tariffs on wine and other exports. He dictates the increases on your rates bill and he's revamping the flyby scheme as well as managing Telstra's wait time call service. <laughs> Do you get the picture? It's a hated profession, Right? He's done well for himself personally, but it's cost him everything relationally. Particularly in the eyes of his Jewish family, he's not measured up, the eggs are scrambled. You can't unscramble eggs. The second point, the first one is that he's not measuring up. The second one is that Zacchaeus is a contrast. This person and this story is a contrast. Bryce talked to us just a couple of weeks ago about the story of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He's a Greek-born blind beggar, sits outside the gates of Jerusalem on the road to Jericho. It's likely that Zacchaeus has just witnessed this amazing healing and interaction that Jesus has with Bartimaeus. And he's probably run ahead, verse 4 tells us, he's run ahead from that moment of observing this situation with Bartimaeus to find the tree to climb. A cursed Greek beggar sitting outside the holy city has nothing relies on everyone else for his daily needs. But in this moment in time, he is offered salvation. It's an eternity-changing offer that comes to Bartimaeus, and he grabs it with both hands. He has no way, no means to facilitate it himself, yet it's offered for him. People are telling him, be quiet, calling him to to, to be quiet, stop talking, but he calls out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stops and interacts, reaches out and changes this guy's life and his eternal trajectory. The goodness of God seen through Jesus in that story is not just about his ability to see now, it's about the most precious thing that God can offer anyone, which is an eternal destiny with him. But then in contrast, Zacchaeus, born in the right line, in the right time, the right lineage, with the right name to live up to, But he gives it all up. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's productive, he's resourced, but he's morally bankrupt at the same time. None of his his own resources can help him here. It's in total contrast. And these two stories are back to back. Verse 5, come up on the screen here. When Jesus reached the spot, the sycamore fig tree, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus sees something that no one else sees. Relationship is a heart business. Jesus isn't interested in resources. Whether you're wealthy or poor doesn't matter. We saw it when Zane preached a few weeks ago as we were talking about the goodness of God in John 4, the story of the woman at the well. Gender difference, foreign religion, they're no barriers for the goodness of God through the person of Jesus. We saw it with the prodigal son five weeks ago, this story of a father who releases his inheritance to a son who says, I don't want anything to do with the family anymore. But then he returns, the father standing at the veranda, uh, waiting for his son, runs out to him, puts the robe on him, puts the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, telling us that he's coming back into the family. No barrier. Scrambled after scrambled after scrambled. Rejection and distance and mistake and failure, one after another after another. None of them are any match whatsoever for the goodness of God through the person of Jesus. Jesus reaching in, restoring, transforming, sanctifying, forgiving, redeeming, unscrambling. Can't unscramble eggs, but Jesus can. That's what he does. That's the business he's in. So Jesus eats at Zacchaeus' house. Everyone sees it. It's not a mistake. It's not hidden. The feedback is, oh no, Jesus is going to eat in the house of a sinner. Big red flags come up, alarms, dash lights coming on, problem, problem. No, no. Verse 9 tells us that salvation has come to this house today. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. That's what verse 10 tells us. Verse 8 tells us about the shift that is taking place in the heart of Zacchaeus. 
He commits to making restitution for his history. Not to buy his salvation, but as an indicator of his thankfulness, to correct things with those that he's done the wrong thing by. It's different for all the folks that we've talked about in this New Testament piece so far. Bartimaeus had nothing to offer, but he calls out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The woman at the well runs back to the town to tell her story and stacks of people come to faith because of the story that, they've, that she's told them, the testimony that she's given. The prodigal was willing to give up his birthright to have the relationship reinstated, to return to the father. And here this wealthy tax collector will seek to use his considerable resource to make things right with the people that he's wronged before. And so here we are today, you and me, in this room at Southport Church of Christ with our own story of not measuring up again and again and again, our own eggs that are scrambled, that you and I can't fix under our own steam. What would Jesus offer us today? What would he want you to know today? Well, firstly, relationship. Yes. Maybe you've taken that picture before. You've taken that offer before of saying, yes, I want to be the friend of Jesus. I want to unscramble my life. Jesus is in that business. You and I have done the wrong thing before God and Jesus is in the business of restoring that. He came once for all. That includes you and I. Maybe it is that you've never accepted that uh, offer of salvation that has come to the house of Zacchaeus on this day. You think that God would not be interested in you, but he is. These stories of the goodness of God tell us that you are the person he's after. You are created in his image and he wants to unscramble things between you and God. Verse 10 tells us why, gives us that clarity. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So if you're in a position where you say, I think... I am lost. I think I have messed this up. I can't unscramble this for myself. Jesus is here. I want to pray a prayer um, in just a moment, right now in fact, uh, that will give you that opportunity. Maybe you've never done that. If that's on your heart, if this is your story, then my encouragement to, to you would be to pray this prayer after, as I pray it. I'll leave a little space and you just pray that prayer in your heart. At the end of the service, I would love to just connect with you. I've got a gift for you, a Bible, and you're starting a journey of Jesus being your Lord and Saviour. If that's something you want to do, then I would invite you to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everybody just to close their eyes, just bow their heads, and I'll pray this prayer. And if that's your story this morning, I want to give you that opportunity now. Uh, Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus... I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. 
I repent of my sin, invite you to come into my heart and life. And I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. If, if that's you this morning, can I just reiterate, I, I have a gift for you and I would love to just sit with you and, and pray together and thank God that your eternity has changed direction. Now, I'm also conscious that that's not all of us in the room. Some of us here, probably many of us here, are here, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, but we sit under the weight of our sin and our disappointments, our failures from our history and the burden that comes with that. Sitting underneath the weight of our shortcomings and our failures, of not measuring up. Maybe you believe in Jesus, maybe you're in relationship with him, but you're choosing to carry the weight of your history. I wonder what Zacchaeus really thought he was going to see when he climbed the tree. He wanted to see who Jesus was, the text tells us. But as he climbs that tree and he sees Jesus, what does he think is going to happen? How will this change him? My suspicion is that he's looking to see whether Jesus is worthy, if there's a way, if there's some kind of process that he could follow where he could release some of the burden of his own journey. He knows what his name means. He knows what his family line is and he knows what his life is about now. And it sits on his shoulders. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Zacchaeus is weary and burdened by the weight of his decisions, the life that he has made for himself. That's actually the burden of living without God. That's what it looks like to not have an eternal destiny and an eternal partner. Later on in this same passage, Jesus says, Take my yoke. My burden is easy. My yoke is easy and it's light. My suspicion is that Zacchaeus is up that tree, knowing that the weight and burden of the choices he's made, the lifestyle he's led, the people he's defrauded, the ill-gotten gain he's received, is just too much. And he's sick of it. His conscience, the conviction of the spirit maybe, his sense of guilt, his feelings of regret, they've all driven him up that tree. Here's the bit I want you to take away to think about this morning. It's my third observation. It's very simple. Jesus sees him. As Jesus walks along this road towards Jerusalem from Jericho, he sees this blind man, he hears this blind man who is completely and in all other ways insignificant and changes his trajectory. 
solves his issue as a proof of his identity, but changes his trajectory eternally. And here is this guy, the little, the little guy, up the tree, hated by everyone. Missed every opportunity to do good in his life. Scrambled and broken in an irretrievable state. But Jesus sees him. Hear this today, right? Jesus sees you as well. Jesus sees you. I don't know your story. I don't know the history. I don't know the challenges that you have faced where you have failed time and time again, the things that say, don't volunteer, don't give, don't help, don't get engaged, you've messed up, you are totally scrambled, leave it alone, God's not interested in you, hear this today, he sees you. You might consider yourself to be too small in stature or importance. Your history might tell you, tell you that you've been overlooked and forgotten by God. Your own view of yourself might tell you to repeatedly say to yourself, for decades, you are not enough. But the goodness of God seen in the person of Jesus says, I see you and I can unscramble that. That's the story, that's the message Jesus wants you to know today. We're going to take some time now in our service just to pause and reflect around the Lord's table. What, the only thing that makes that possible for us, available to us, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died, he gave his body for you and I for the sins that we have committed. Uh, the blood that Jesus shed was for the remission of that sin, to, to blot it out, to change the landscape. So when Jesus looks at you now, he looks at you through the sacrifice of Jesus, a perfect sacrifice. And so he sees you not as one who is fallen and broken and messed up, but sees you through Jesus as one that he will call and empower and give life to. And so the barrier is what happens within us. And so my challenge to you this morning, we're going to share in communion, but I want you to take that time while we share in communion just to reflect is the Lord saying anything to you now? Is the story of Zacchaeus, of not measuring up, of scrambling his life, is it saying anything to you? Is the Spirit of God prompting you to, 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 to change tack, to give up the, the mental or the heart state that says that you're not good enough? Well, none of us are good enough in that sense. But through Jesus, it's a different story. So my encouragement to you would be just to reflect and consider that. Uh, if you would like to pray or chat with someone, our, our team would be, will be down the front after the service. We would love to 
be a privilege to pray into that situation with you, to walk a journey with you. Um, But for now, we're going to just take some time, reflect around the Lord's table. I'm going to pray and then the stewards will come and wait upon us. There'll be some quiet music. Uh, If you take the bread, there's two cups there. Uh, The top cup has the juice in it. The uh, cup underneath has a small uh, piece of bread there, a wafer. Uh, If you take that in your own time, then hold the cup and then we'll drink together as a sign of our community, our communion with God together. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you now. We thank you so much for this uh, story that speaks into our own journey uh, personally. The story of Zacchaeus and uh, just that sense of coming up short in our own strength. But what we're grateful now for now is the work of Jesus on the cross. His death and resurrection proves to us that you have control, you are sovereign, and that you want to restore us into relationship with you. And so, Lord, we want to lean into that, not just as a posture of salvation, end-of-life kind of picture, but as a reality for today, to understand that uh, we are in partnership with you and you've called us into something that's meaningful uh, and eternity-changing for others as well. So we just want to pause and give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how that literally changes every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.